Welcome to the Rosé Hour podcast. I'm your host, Renee J. Johnson, and we're so thankful that you decided to join us today. We have two awesome guests, Wakanya Clinton, Democratic strategist, and Kevin Rapp, owner of Rapp Imports Wine. Mm-mm-mm. Everybody drink rosé, rosé. So we sip rosé. We gonna sip rosé, rosé. Sip rosé. Baby girl, she don't play, don't play. So we sip rosé. We gonna sip rosé. That rosé hour, baby. Sip rosé. Everything gonna be okay. Hey, okay. It's great to have such an amazing bartender here. What up? <laughs> so, hey, everybody. We want to thank you again for listening. And Ben has decided to serve us a new rosé today. So, what's the name of the rosé we're drinking? Yes Way Rosé. Oh, so what do you think of it so far? I'm not quite a fan. Get up! Really? Why not? It's a bitter appetite. Well, DC. it's a crisp, effervescent, brute rosé, and it's supposed to be a celebratory rosé. You don't feel like we're celebrating? We always celebrate. It's the first episode of the game. Pew, 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 pew. Well, this rosé is like a pink ganache sparkler. It's from the south of France. It's supposed to have like wildflowers, apricot, pink grapefruit zest, and some refined, long-lasting bubbles. How does that I'm feel? I'm pretty sure all of that stuff is in there. Really? It tastes like all of that is in the wine. Well, since you're the bartender, Ben, want to know what your 2020 goals are. To make more money, to be more healthier, to be more better. Mo, mo, mo. Well, that's good because today I'm excited that we're having a baby. And I am excited the conversation we had with Kenya because she talks about how people can get into the advocacy world, how they can actually do more towards the elections, and also sip sip hooray for Rosé because she talks about her favorite kind. Right. Let's go ahead and hop into this. All right, let's get into the first interview with Miss Kenya Clancy. I'm here with one of my near, dear, great, amazing, fantastic, just scrumptious <laughs> friends, Wakinya Clinton. Renee, you are far too kind. Um, <laughs> I'm excited about this. I'm super happy to be your first guest on the show. Yay! Huge congratulations to you. I mean, I know this is going to go far beyond your wildest dreams and we are all here root for you so let's go girl what yes. we got to do yes well thank you for that and thank you for being our first guest you're welcome and being our first guest i feel like people want to know like how do we know each other the cliche <laughs> thing in the world right like everybody's like how do you know so and so so instead of me telling the story because it's not really a story because uh-huh. there's some people who are meant to be in life mm-hmm. and you're meant to be in my life yeah so why don't you tell people how you are meant to be <laughs> in my life well Ren- renee you are so dc um in the sense that you're absolutely right we should tell people how we know each other um i think like most folks uh in this city who aren't native to the city we all come here as transplants right um and the beautiful thing about being 
being from other places, you get to bring that spirit with you. Yeah. When you when you migrate in, and so I think our journey uh, together actually started on the hill for it the did. most part. You know, um, being affiliated with groups like Congressional Black Associates and the Senate Staff, Black Staff Associations that always puts good Black people together. That's right. Um, the hill is such. Uh, its own community, but it's also so small. And uh, I think the black staff within that community mm -hmm. all tend to gravitate towards one another just for solidarity in most instances, but also just continuity and also the spirit of just being able to be yourself with folks. Right. And so I think we first encountered each other on the hill, but then our, our friendship developed over just mutual friends and being able to be in the same spaces and, you know, two like amazing people uh, from different parts of the world but you know I like to say from the same place because you're from like Illinois and that's kind of like north, basically that's north, north Mississippi, Mississippi so yeah, you know same yeah, thing yeah. worlds merge um, for real for real you're my play cousin but in real life hey, but yes, yes yes you guys now know the cat's out the bag I'm her officially her play cousin for real, you guys for real. did not know from north Mississippi from north Mississippi yes. uh, by way of Chicago right. uh, by way are things you are working on like in the industry that you're in <laughs> that you think we all should know and oh, please God. take a sip I know <laughs> uh, people at home take a sip as well because it's about to get deep because we talk about 2020 yeah you know it depends on which industry you want to know about do you want to know about <laughs> the fashion industry the political industry which industry you know uh, in all seriousness you know uh, I would like to say for nine to five, I dedicate my life to serving others, but I think I dedicate my life to serving others uh, around the clock, mm -hmm. um, even when it supersedes 24 hours uh, in a day from some type of way. Black women make days go longer and longer than they're supposed to. Most of the years. But, um, you know, in the political world, I think it's no secret to everybody what we have, what we're dealing with. Uh, we're watching it play out in real time on national television. We see um, just this overt abuse of power happening in our country, which is really not only threatening, but undermining our democracy. And I think that's really and truly um, the, the scariest part about mm -hmm. where we are right now as a country. But greater than that, um, the thing that worries me the most outside of this president is people's response to it. Yeah. And the fact that we are t becoming numb to it, that is the scariest it's part to me. very scary. And it's not just, you know, Democrats or Republicans or Independents. It's like the world yeah. is becoming numb to this. And we are, we are normalizing this type of uh, inaction mm -hmm. um, or direct disrespect for action. And it is, to me, highly alarming. And so the one thing that I'm really working towards is keeping folks focused on the issues, um, making sure that people know what's at stake far beyond who's in office, yeah. which is not an easy thing to do, is not a sexy thing to do, but it's an imperative thing to do. Yeah. And as I think as the months go on, you'll start seeing more um, conversations coming from candidates trying to make the case and make the sale. But the one thing that I'm encouraging folks to do is really focus on what people need right now. You know, I think the prom the days of waiting for promises of the future are done. Yeah. People are looking for instant results. They want to know when, where, what time, who going to be there, uh, how long it's going to take. Yes. You know, like, who all going to be there? Who all going to be there and what y'all going to do when you get there? Like, that's what people are really um, waiting on right now. And then they're, they're looking to our elected leaders for a lot of direction, but I think 
over the last couple of months, what I have found to be the most assuring in a lot of the chaos that's been happening is that a lot of people are taking it upon themselves to kind of be like the validators, to be the movers and the shakers and to galvanize their communities. And that, I think, keeps me going in the work that we've been doing. But um, even far beyond that, I, I would just say, you know, I want to just caution folks to keep your heads up and keep yeah. your and keep your grind going because you're going to need it. We're going to yeah. need all this energy and we're going to need folks to start don't look at the person, look at the policy, right? Yeah. Look at the yeah. look at what the potential is for them to do something great and amazing with the support of folks on the ground and realizing what your power is and how that supersedes just voting for a person. But there's an accountability right. that needs to be assigned to the people who you entrust with this with the responsibility to lead. And I think that's what I'm looking forward to in this upcoming election cycle. Yes. Yes. Okay. And I think you you brought out a really good point that I think many people do not do. They don't look at the person, mm -hmm. um, or rather, they look at the person and not the policy, right? Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. think like, oh, well, this person is shiny, and I like this shiny thing. It's attractive. It sounds like it makes sense to me, mm -hmm. but it's like everything that it stands for, policy-wise, it's against you. Mm -hmm. It is trying to tear you down. What are some things you think that people can try to do to get away from sort of the fake news, shiny people mm -hmm. situations and actually looking at policy. Like, what are some policies you think people can just, like, off GP be like, okay, that's a... That's one that a I need to question. Easy thing, right? Yeah. Well, what you've just described is what I like to call the chandelier effect, mm. right? Like everybody looks at the the, the person. It's like this beautiful, shiny. It's hanging out there in the ceiling. It's defying gravity, and it's just again, it is breathtaking to look at. But then you have to figure out well, what's the function of it, right? Right. And like, what's mm. actually causing it to illuminate? What's actually causing it to grab your attention? Is something under there, ah. right? It's the light. It's what I call the light. Bulb. Right. And that light bulb is generally a group of people who are assigned with the responsibility to craft policy. And so when you're looking at a candidate, also look at their team. That's mm. why during election cycles, you see all of these stories come out about who's on whose team. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, and I think some people think about, oh, it's just about race. It's just about gender. No, actually, it's about who's going to be crafting policy, who's going right. to be setting agendas and coming up with strategy and tactics and who's going to be directing this candidate who says they have the vision but they need someone who's going to implement it in place and so when you have um when you start looking at candidates go a little bit deeper look at their records of course if they have them but more so than that look at the people around them right you know you can always tell about a person who they are based off who they surround themselves with if they're going to be able to be or if they're going to be accessible to you most people vote for you for three reasons they need you they know you they like you right, right. and determining whether or not that need is there and whether or not you're likable and being able to convert all that into a voter into the psychology of a voter is a very complicated thing and so you need people around you around you who are helping shape and, and stir and steer um policy along the lines of the things that people need in their communities and so from a, a policy standpoint of course for most people in america healthcare is still number one right right you have over 30 million people who who for the first time in a long time actually had access to health care under the obama administration right we see shout they, out to obama shout that. out to uh, shout out to 44 right uh in the squad but Illinois, <laughs> right of course but more so than that and also his wife michelle because it was because of michelle but you know i digress but uh on a a note of that healthcare is still number one for a lot of people, but the number for a lot of people is still number one. But for a growing, emerging base of people, 
It is the economy. Yeah. Folks want to be able to afford things for themselves. They want to be able to build and actually live and realize the American dream. And they can't do that by constantly re relying on a system to give to them something mm -hmm. that they should have been given. They should be able to afford on their own. And so it's not to say that the government doesn't have a role to play and that we shouldn't be making um, putting good policy forth to ensure for people who can't. Like, not everybody's going to be an entrepreneur, right? right? Not everyone's going to be able to go get a six-figure job. But people should have the option Option, and they should the have ability the, uh, to do so. Exactly. We have to start focusing on growth in this country and what it looks like. We have to start focusing on infrastructure and investment Amen. and creating opportunities for folks, whether it's to work or to employ employ people to work as a country as the greatest country in uh, on this earth we have a responsibility to our citizens and that looks like creating opportunities where people can be self-sufficient i agree with that mm -hmm. and it's so amazing too like the correlation between health care and the economy right mm -hmm. because there are people who are like oh i only care about my health care and there's people who are like only care about the economy but mm -hmm. the intersectionality between the two is like mm -hmm. well you can't afford your prescription drugs that's because of an economy issue as well as a prescription drug pricing issue, mm -hmm. which is a healthcare issue. So Absolutely. they intersect so much. And I think people are like, I have like this one highlighted issue mm -hmm. and it's this one issue. But it's like, no, your issue intersects so many other problems that you yeah. have yeah. and you don't even realize it because if you fix that one thing, you still be a person who has all these other problems. Other issues. You're absolutely right. I mean, economic injustice is injustice across the board. It's hey, injustice yeah. across the board. And I think when you start, you mentioned something that I really want to uplift here. You mentioned prescription drug costs. And we don't talk enough about the impacts of, pres of prescription drug costs on our aging communities. Like, well, our it, seniors yeah. are in a position where they don't, they, they're making choices between food and pills. Yeah. Th that, those are people who've already worked and come through a system and now they're in retirement or they're on social security and they're not being able to make their ends meet and we are failing them as a nation irrespective of party as a nation we have given up and we have tossed aside our seniors and we have a cost to pay for that and so I think there is responsibility here that needs to be placed across the board. I'm so happy to have folks. Um, there are elected leaders who are championing for these issues across the board, and I want to, like, salute them. And I don't want this to be a political thing, but I want to salute them because there is a lot of a lot of times, particularly in, in presidential years, where you have all these candidates run, running to be the top of the ticket, that people overlook people. But the most reliable folks, the people, the p most reliable and the most vulnerable folks out there are seniors, and we have to do a better job of making sure that their issues are a part of our everyday conversation. You are right about that. And just because I have to mention this, because mm -hmm. you were there with me in the mm -hmm. hospital mm -hmm. as a person who has a prescription drug that I will have mm -hmm. to carry with me for the rest of my life, mm -hmm. an uh, not an insulin pen, excuse me, Epi an EpiPen, mm -hmm. um, that cost has just skyrocketed again. Mm -hmm. And knowing that there's so many people like myself and seniors who depend on these drugs life saving life-saving drugs and you know for a fact mm -hmm. i'm with that yeah uh, so you can you can attest to that you can, you can tell I, I definitely can <laughs> attest to the fact that you were in the emergency room with your chanel on and your headband um i was speaking but, to the dying and, but okay yeah but also the dying part about that um you know i think the cost of life-saving drugs is criminal yeah uh, I think if you can go across the border to Canada and you can get the same medicine yeah. for free, why can't you do that right here in the United States? Um, particularly for life-saving medication. That, to me, is mind-boggling how we have become a nation where we would rather... We care about profit margins than 
the health and well-being of our people. And I think that, that to me, is why you saw such an uproar in 2018 because people got tired of rhetoric and they got tired of being um becoming victims and slaves to um to a government for real that that doesn't have their best interests at heart and i think you're going to see more and more of that as um as time progresses well i know i personally Thank you for that work because, mm-hmm. again, as a person has to deal with this myself for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. and knowing that there's a monopoly going on, and if there's any other type of monopoly, like in the electric companies mm-hmm. or in cable companies, the government tries to break it up. But yet, when it comes to pr- prescription drugs, it's the only monopoly that we're not trying to do anything about governmentally, right? So I'm very thankful for the work that you are doing and, and mm-hmm. speaking about it because it doesn't just impact seniors, mm-hmm. and we know we love our seniors, and they do not get the respect that they have definitely are owed. Uh, but there are so many babies that are needing insulin that can't get it and are dying from it. And so just to hear these points is so great, and we Mm -hmm. thank you so much for bringing these up. Um, I also want to ask you one last question, and I think you know what it is. What is it, girl? Go Which, are you going to go for it? Okay. I mean, what is my, my favorite rosé? Yes, my question? of course. Well, you know, I like anything that's pretty in sparkles. Um, yes. But nothing beats a good bubbly, you know. I, I'm a big um, Shondon fan. Yeah, uh, shout I, out Shondon. If you'd yes. like to sponsor, please feel free. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love that. I mean, smooth richness, you know, nice consistent bubbles, you know, you keep your fears a little long. I, I'm I'm all in for that. So. Well, one thing I notice about what Kenny when she drinks a nice glass of champagne mm-hmm. slash rosé, she always adds a nice little accoutrement to mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Nice berry of fruit, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. strawberry or something. Why do you do that? I always look like, I love to see it in your cup, but I know there's another reason. <laughs> well, it depends on the brand, right? I, I'm just going to be honest. It depends on the wine quality. Like, some things you may need to add a little something to to give it a you know, different flavor or feel. Um, but sometimes you don't. If you have a really g- good glass of champagne, you don't need to add anything, just your lips. But if <laughs> if if you if you have you something Yeah, if you have something that's a little bit challenged, if you're generally getting a happy hour wine or prosecco or or cava or something of that nature, you know, I'm a black cherry fan, so I always like to add that. If I don't have that, I'll go for a nice blackberry. Yes, yeah. blackberry mm-hmm. molasses. That's mm-hmm. a whole Mississippi, you know, yeah. je ne sais quoi you guys have. Yeah, but it also gives it a different color. So I, I generally do not like maraschino cherries in my champagne. I just do not like them. Let's be clear about that, people. That, that's a red, that's just the red one that they put in all the little rum drinks and such. I don't want that. Like that to me, there's too much sugar. But if you can get a nice bourbon cherry or a nice, um, nice dark cherry, like soaked in bourbon, mm. and add it to your, to your, um, to your generally prosecco because most champagne. If you're going to buy a nice glass champagne, yeah, it, you don't, wanna you don't need it, to add but... that to it. But if you got like a Prosecco, like a nice happy hour wine or whatever, you can add that to it and it gives it a different flair and flavor. Well, it yeah. sounds like we need to have you back on for our <laughs> cocktails episode. I'm always here for a good cocktail. You know, I'm a yes. Jack and Daniels grandma whiskey girl, so that's my thing. But I also love a great glass of, of champagne and more specifically rosé. So. Yay! I know, and we've broken many <laughs> bottles of together. Several bottles of rosé together. That is correct. Well, where can people find you with Kenny? Because I know people um, love you, so how can they contact you? Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for that. So I am uh, the, the most visible I am on our, uh, is Instagram and Twitter, and the, the handles for both are, the, are easy. It's WJS 
Clanton. So that's C-L-A-N-T-O-N. Um, and that's across the board. Yeah, I do most of my communicating, uh, social communicating on Twitter and Instagram. And then if it's for professional reasons only, um, contact me on LinkedIn. You can just search my whole name, Wakinya Clanton, and that's W-A-I-K-I-N-Y-A, <laughs> last name Clanton, C-L-A-N-T-O-N. Um, and that's it. That's where you can find me. Yay! Yeah. Well, thank you, Wakinya. We thank you so much You're for welcome, coming today. And we want to continue toasting with you soon. Yes, cheers! Cheers! Yes. Thanks, Wakinya, for a great conversation and some rosé. Next up is Kevin Rapp, an important distributor of wine here in Washington, D.C. We have a conversation about all the tax tariffs that the wine industry is facing. Take a listen. How you got into the wine industry, if you want to talk about, like, what was the moment you're like, I love wine so much, I've got to get into it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily, I think, an aha moment of I love wine so much. It was a um, kind of a career progression. You know, I graduated college with a degree in advertising and you know, marketing and communications, a minor in political science, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I knew I wanted to work with people and and be out and about, so um, I had really enjoyed catering in college, so I actually called up all of the catering companies near by where I lived in uh, Kensington, Maryland, right outside of D.C., and um, started working for a catering company, basically doing everything um, for them, you know, working um, from the kitchen to doing early, early morning deliveries and uh, organizing weddings and bartending at the weddings and basically everything. And, um, you know, I enjoyed it. And then the truck blew up and burned our warehouse down, and I had to find another job. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, I didn't see uh, that burn. <laughs> yeah, so I, I bounced around to different jobs and I had a bunch of friends. So I worked in political fundraising. I worked for uh, company that uh, was like a screen print and embroidery company and you know I really picked up a lot of knowledge jobs but none of them really spoke to me so I had a bunch of friends who were involved in distribution and um, I, I saw that they were happy and they enjoyed what they were doing so I called up some contacts unfortunately uh, uh, friends uh, father from growing up um, was able to connect me to a distribution company um, and I started working in off-premise sales which um, for people listening um, that don't know the uh, terminology the lingo for, <laughs> the, the lingo for distributors off-premise <laughs> is essentially your retail um, wine shops and liquor stores and grocery stores and then on-premise is your restaurants and I was a off-premise guy for a large distribution company for um, close to five years. And then I got married, and my lovely wife, Nicole, um, pushed, pushed me uh, in a good way uh, to start my own thing. So we got married on a, gosh, I can't even remember now. I guess it was, a, it was either a Friday or a Saturday. I think it was, it was a, an odd day for a wedding, so I think it was a Friday. And that Sunday, we were off to Italy, 
Um, and it was our oh, first nice. work trip together. So we we were off to Italy. We we rented a car in Rome. Um, threw all of our luggage in there, a little teeny European car, and we drove three hours uh, east to the opposite coast to Abruzzo, where we met with uh, producer Cantina Galasso, um, who I had ah. met uh, on LinkedIn at 4 a.m. one morning when <laughs> kind of the idea for my own company kind of uh, blossomed in my brain because I had this one message from a producer who said they were looking for distribution and. I thought to myself, well, maybe I can be that guy. You know, maybe I yeah. can be the importer. Um, so that's how it started. And then we, you know, we spent two weeks driving all over Italy, and that's how we found um, our first three partners, one in Abruzzo, one in Puglia, which is about five hours south of Abruzzo, and then one um, out of Sicily, which is, you know, all the way yeah. across uh to the west and, and actually a, an island that's not even connected to the mainland of Italy. Yeah, Sicily, I've heard, has some amazing wines and gets underrated <laughs> about it. Um, so it's good to know you have some good ideas uh, to bring more Sicilian wine, not just Italian wine, to the states. That's right. awesome. Well, they've, people around the world have been drinking these wines for a long time without knowing it. So when there was a phylloxera epidemic, which essentially phylloxera was a, uh, a pest that attacked uh, the native European vines. Um, and in order uh, to wall, like the, the vines in France were, a lot of them were down and they needed extra grapes. Uh, the Sicilians had a lot of vines that hadn't been affected by the phylloxera yet. And a lot of those grapes went over to France, from what I hear, from what I hear. Ah. Um, and the same thing can be said for wines from Puglia were sent up north to kind of bulk up the wines there. Um, but people have been very quiet about that for a long time. So I don't know if it's necessarily in the history books yet, but I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but it, it will be. Yeah, yeah. No, I think <laughs> yeah, it will be. Considering, you know, history, the truth is now being told in so many ways. <laughs> right, um, right. And then speaking of which, history books, I know that the industry is seeing a lot of things historically happening. Uh, and I know you are working mm -hmm. on the terrified tariffs <laughs> that are happening to the industry. Do you want to talk right. more about, like, what's happening and what people can do? Whew. And how oh it impacts them. Let's talk about how it impacts my wine drinking. <laughs> right. Well, well. first, I, I mean, I'll, I'll kind of lead off with what we're doing, and then I can backtrack a little bit from there. Yeah. Uh, but the, the biggest thing that's on my mind right now is an event that we're hosting, and it's called the One America March. Um, you can find information at oneamericamarch.com. And essentially the thought um, that I had was, our country is in this interesting time where we seem to be divided into two Americas, and um, there doesn't really seem to be any question about that from anybody that I talk to that's anywhere in America. There's a big yeah. divide, um, and that's sad. It's terrible. Um, and what's happening with these tariffs, they are essentially whether or not people 
understand them um, is a question that, I mean, we're trying to combat. They really affect and will hurt everybody. Um, people think they're just about wine, um, but if you go to our website, oneamericamarch.com, I've basically taken the language that the U.S. trade representative who's deciding on these tariffs had put in their documentation, and I took out all the extra language, and I just left the products. Um, so what's happening is there's a dispute between two giant airline manufacturers. One is called Airbus, and they're based in the EU, the European Union, and one is called Boeing. It's based in the United States. And both of them, uh, Boeing hasn't had their court case brought up yet, but the consensus opinion is that both of them have received subsidies from their governments in some way uh, that has contributed to them having an unfair trade uh, balance over their competitor. Now, that's a lot to listen to, and I, I'm sorry. It's, it's just kind no, of No, no, no. Um, yeah. But the bottom line is there's these two giant airline manufacturers who maybe have wronged each other. And in order to rectify that, in order to right that situation, the U.S. government has decided that they are going to put um, some taxes on things like yogurt, milk, cream, butter, uh, cheddar cheese, pear juice, biscuits, waffles, wine, whiskey, waistcoats, suits, swimwear, blankets, mm -hmm. octopus, mm -hmm. you know, ceramic tiles, things like things that really have a lot or actually, wait a second, not a lot to do with airplanes and airplanes being manufactured. Yeah, um, totally <laughs> not related to manufacturing a plane. They may be on a plane, but yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's kind of like the, it's almost like the restaurant tariffs. And just to make it super simple for to understand, so let's let's take wine. Everybody's talking about wine. We're, this is a wine podcast. Um, as an importer, um, if I'm bringing in a bottle of wine and say that, say that bottle of wine costs one dollar, when that bottle of wine arrives in port, now this tariff could be up to 100 percent. And there's no tricky terminology here. 100% means 100%, which is a tax that when I bring in that wine at $1 for my producer, the American government says, give me another dollar. If I bring in a wine that costs $5,000, the American government says, give me another $5,000. And for a person like me, I, I started my business. I had my first shipment I received in December of 2016. I'm just getting my feet under me. It's only my wife and I. We are the only oh, wow. ones who have invested in it. And if these tariffs hit, even at 25%, um, my company, as I know it, I import uh, solely from Italy right now. Um, my company goes out of business um, unless I drastically find a way to shift. And shifting uh, would be not to American wines because American wines are already – um, for one, expensive. For two, any American wines that you're going to find at a price point that um, is going to be a by the glass or, or suitable for like a 9.99 or under on a shelf, um, those are already owned by giant distribution 
uh, networks. There's no nothing left for the little guys, um, and we'll all go out of business if we don't start bringing in wines from places like South America, you know, Argentina, Chile, South wow. Africa, Uruguay. Um, it's I could go on forever. It's uh, it's just a really um, it's a really well, terrible, terrible thing that's happening. It's it's terrible and it's um it's unwarranted. I I have done nothing other than uh tried to build build a business with my wife and I could wake up tomorrow and the decision is gonna be made any time between now, um, it could be today or any time between now and February fifteenth. And one of those mornings I could wake up and Sure, my business wouldn't be done at that moment because I have inventory right now, but I'd be looking at you know three or four months from that day and thinking, man, um, I'm going to have to really uh, get creative, and even then, it's going to change my whole business. I I import yeah, Italian wines. Home. I don't import yeah. Chilean or, or Argentina wines, and other people already do that and already have market share, so I'd be starting um, from scratch. My three years would be thrown away. Other people would have 10, 25, 50 years or more just thrown down the garbage um, for a dispute between two giant airline manufacturers. Wow. So how can people get involved? Like, how can we help the industry and the, um, the people like you? Like, how do we Well, help? you mentioned... What? <laughs> uh, you spread the word. I mean, you... You take a moment, you look at our website, oneamericamarch.com is a good first step. You see the products that are affected. Um, for one, don't believe our, the, all the articles that you're reading. There was just a, a separate tariff um, on uh, digital service tax that involved only French wines, and that there was an agreement that came about for that. and. Basically, half of our wine industry thought that that meant that the tariffs no longer existed. So it is, it's confusing on many levels. Um, but what you can do is you can join us at the march, um, which is going to be in Washington, D.C., in a place called Freedom Plaza, um, aptly named 1455 <laughs> Pennsylvania Avenue, Northwest. And that's going to be on Sunday, February 9th. We're going to begin meeting at 10 a.m. We're going to depart. Uh, from Freedom Plaza at 11 a.m. en route to Lafayette Square, which is right outside the White House. And we're not going to stay too long, but we're, you know, we have about 250 signs that we're making, and I'm, I'm guesstimating at a minimum we'll have about 1,000 people. I'm really, really hoping we'll have more. Um, and afterwards, wow. it's gonna, we're going to move over to the Hamilton, who has been uh, they're a great, uh, they're part of the Clyde's Restaurant Group, and they have a wonderful venue um, right there on F Street. Uh, it's The actual address is 600 14th Street Northwest, but it's only uh, about a five-minute walk from the White House. And they have uh, opened, opened up their doors to us to have a little reception afterwards for anybody that is participating in the march. Um, and for that, I... I'm still working out details, but I talked to the California Wine Institute, who 
many people think would be um, all for these tariffs, but actually they're, they've been very open about being opposed, and they were even thinking of supplying wine um, oh. for the event just, you know, out of the kindness of their hearts and because they're concerned about what's going on. Um, yeah. And we're, you know, it'll be a meetup for, uh, for people, not just in the wine industry, but for people who are interested in learning about how this is going to affect them because the kind of what's going to happen is you have your importers who are affected and you have your distributors who are affected and then you have your retail and restaurants who are affected, and then you have your American consumers who are affected. So that going back to that $1 bottle of wine, so right now without tariffs, if you have a $1 bottle of wine, 85 cents of that is staying in the American economy. Um, this is not hurting the European Union. It's not going to make them want to bow down and stop giving subsidies to Airbus. Um, right. It's not as big of a threat as it looks like it on on paper. You know, you can't judge a book by the cover. you got to open it up and read everything that's inside, and that's kind of what's happening here with these tariffs where people are just kind of taking a peek at the headline, and then they're not digging into the actual uh, body of what's what's going on in the context yeah well i know i will definitely be there and we're going to put this information out for people so this podcast is airing on wednesday uh february 5th perfect. and so there is perfect time for everyone to still get involved so we have about 30 seconds left want to know oh my what's your favorite <laughs> rosé <laughs> what's your favorite well, rosé well, you, you did. You did give me. Uh, you, you gave me like a slow pitch on this one because you you lobbed it up to me before we got on the phone. So it was nice. Um, so there's a couple of them, but I got 30 seconds, so I'm going to go quick. One is called uh, Provence Origami Rosé. Is with a producer out of Provence, obviously. Um, it is a blend of Grenache, Syrah, Cinso, and Roll. Um, and they're one of my first producers that I worked with and brought in some wines from France. Uh, second is from my producer, Cantina Albea, out of Puglia. It is a uh, Primitivo rosé, which Primitivo is genetically identical to Zinfandel, which originally came from Croatia. It was named Trebedrag. Um, so it's essentially a white Zinfandel, but it doesn't have all that negative connotation that has come because of uh, box wine and things like that. Um, and then thirdly, I have a producer out of South Africa that I am uh, going to be, they're called Dunstone, and we are looking at bringing in a uh, Shiraz Rosé from them uh, here in the next uh, two months or two to three months, March or April, hopefully the container will arrive with those wines. Well, that's amazing. And we clearly have to have you back on because we didn't even really touch the surface of rosé. <laughs> so we have to well, have you back. I, well, I, I do I do need to uh, to learn uh, more about rosé because uh, the world of rosé is so vast, and I think yeah. you have a great um, podcast, Renee, because um, rosé itself has grown so much, and I think people get caught up just thinking about um, rosés from France or Provence-style rosé, and really um, there are producers all over the world 
um, that are making wonderful rosés, and um, I think the the public in general is about to really have their eyes open to some super cool wines over the next few years as um, importers start bringing them in more and more. Yeah, and so where can people find you on social media, and how can they like connect with you about? purchasing wine or earning more from you. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I, I, I could give you my cell phone number because nobody calls it anyways, but if, if you want to you want to call me, it's uh, 202-999-8182. You'll also find that on my website, uh, www.rapwine.com. That's R-A-P-P-P-S-M-Peter, W-I-N-E.com. Um, you can find me on Facebook under my name, Kevin Rapp. You can find me on Instagram at DC underscore Rapp. You can find me on LinkedIn under Kevin Rapp. I'm, I try, I'm trying to do a little bit of a social media push because it's a little um, teeny tiny uh, importer and distributor with big dreams. I need to uh, get out there in the world, and what better time than 2020 to do that, right? That's exactly right. This is the year of accomplishing all your goals. So we're going to make sure, as everyone who's listening to this podcast is going to follow you, so people get your wine from Kevin, listen to Kevin, ask him questions about what's a good wine, and also help advocate for these tariff situations that really have nothing to do with the wine distributors and importers. It's all with these airplane manufacturers and they need to stay in their business and let the wine distributors and importers do theirs <laughs> right Thanks. and just so, call me i'm here call me yeah we'll do it <laughs> everybody please call them. well thank you so much kevin we really appreciate your time today and of course you'll be on another episode soon <laughs> awesome thank you so much renee i appreciate it best of luck to you thanks so much bye bye Wow, what a day. So much rosé has been sipped. Thanks, yes way, rosé, bartender Ben, for pouring it up. It was an interesting bottle that we just completed this episode, but nonetheless, maybe next week we'll have a different version of a great wine as well. Hopefully the bartender is able to find a delicious rosé that's not so awkward. We want to thank our guest, Wakenya Clanton, Democratic strategist, Kevin Rapp, importer and distributor of wines here in Washington, D.C., and all of you for listening to our very first episode. Without you guys listening in, this thing would not be a thing. And if you have any questions or you want to actually get on the show or recommend someone, hit us up at Renee at TheRosePodcast.com. That's R-E-N-E-E at therosehourpodcast.com. Also, follow us on social media. Just go ahead and type in The Rose Hour Podcast. We'll be there on all social media platforms. And we're also on Spotify. We're on iTunes. So if you're listening to us on one medium, check us out somewhere else. Tell a friend, tell a neighbor, tell everybody. Until next time, sip, sip, hooray, friends. So sip, rose. We're gonna sip rose, 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 sip rose, baby girl, she don't play, don't play. So we sip rose, we're gonna sip rose, that rose hour, baby, sip rose, everything will be okay, okay, and 
sipping rose. We gonna sip rose. Rose. And we sipping rose. Everything gonna be okay. Okay. Cause we sipping rose. We gonna sip rose. All the ladies. Rose. All the ladies rose. Rose. We gonna sip rose. London, we sip rose.